Hey there, risers and thrivers. Welcome back to episode three of On the Up and Up. Gosh, honestly, y'all, every episode release feels so monumental because this process of getting interview participants, learning to edit, even just getting the right microphone to get started has been such a learning curve for me. And I really just dropped myself into the deep end without having a proper plan. But I really appreciate the continued support and patience of all of you that tune in for each new episode. And for those of you, if this is your first time listening to On the Up and Up, thank you for listening. Now, some of my continued listeners have pointed something out. Apparently, I've never introduced myself. So I'd like to say, hey there, everyone. My name is Janine Heinrich, and I'm the host and creator of this podcast. And I created it as an extension of the research that I was conducting on the experiences of underrepresented entrepreneurs. But more than that, I created it with the goal to share remarkably inspiring stories, encourage knowledge sharing, and facilitate a safe space for critical conversations. For this week's episode, as I said earlier about having a learning curve, the microphone quality isn't great because we had to record it virtually and I was using my old microphone. But that doesn't take away from the great conversation that you're going to hear between myself and Jonas Ingonia, who is the co-founder and CEO of BZ, an all-in-one platform for teams to plan, produce, and deliver content from start to finish. In this episode, Jonas and I will discuss how he serendipitously fell into entrepreneurship at the age of 17 through his passion for photography, the just do it mindset and why you should just get started with whatever idea you have today. And he'll also share useful tips for aspiring and early stage founders. So with that being said, thank you, Jonas, for joining me. And without further ado, would you like to just take a few minutes to introduce yourself? Thanks a lot for having me. Super nice to be here. Yeah, my name is Jonas. I'm from Switzerland, Mozambique, 24, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Busy. So with Busy, we're a Berlin-based startup, but we're fully remote and we're trying to build the operating system for the creative economy. That's a fancy way of saying all-in-one platform where you can plan, produce and deliver content from beginning to finish. And uh, yeah, I'm a photographer myself, or mostly was a photographer myself. These days, not so much anymore. And so we started building these tools for ourselves and then we built community and things kind of like started growing uh, growing from there and it's been like a messy messy little journey actually walk us through a little bit of that journey because we had our own conversation and i'm a bit aware of your background which is incredibly unique i mean i remember you saying that you dropped out of high school you had a passion for photography found out how to commercialize that so do you just want to walk us through that a little bit how did you even get started into this yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the way you said it is kind of true, but kind of the, the nicer way in the background. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I dropped out of high school when I was 17. And the reason for that was not to start a business or anything. I just hated going to school, to be honest. And both of my parents are uh, university professors and researchers. So they almost disowned me at that point. But that was that was a fun bit. I was honestly not doing much for those first six, uh, six months. I, I also do a lot of parkour free running, so jumping on the wall. So I was spending my time with my best friend jumping on walls and smoking a lot, to be honest, so not that glamorous. Uh, but quickly, I met my co-founder, Julia. She was studying in Switzerland as a bioengineer and neuroscientist. And so we met around uh, around photography, actually. And we quickly started talking about different business ideas. And so at the beginning, it was not related to photography at all. We were working on what we call the Amazon of the sharing economy, which was which was a disaster. That was very, very bad. <laughs> but with that project, we won a little grant in Switzerland called the Social Impact Award Switzerland and uh, 10,000 Swiss francs from her engineering school. So we won those uh, two first grants. 
And so that's kind of like what uh, what made us start, let's say, at that point. But very quickly, we realized that, okay, our project, Amazon of the sharing economy, that was not going to work. We had absolutely no experience, no nothing. And so we kind of got slapped in the face very quickly by a lot of different investors. And so we had to kind of bring it down. So we moved to Berlin with uh, what we call like peer-to-peer -peer platform for photography equipment. So Airbnb for photography equipment, right? And this was what we knew best, which was photography and one, we wanted to solve the problems that we had ourselves. And so we were photographers, students, photography equipment is very, very expensive. One lens can yeah. cost over a thousand euros. Yeah, you know this with microphones, cameras, it gets very expensive. And I've learned the hard way. <laughs> Exactly. And the main issue there is that it's expensive, but also a lot of this equipment you're not going to use most of the time. Most photographers have kind of like one favorite lens, one favorite microphone. You end up having accumulating quite a lot of specialized gear that you don't use all the time. So we thought, you know, why not launch this platform to... Uh, to share it, right? Uh, which is not a brand new idea in itself. Everybody kind of thought of this, you know, but it was pretty easy to launch. And um, we started hosting a lot of photography events in Berlin in order to meet our first users. Quick question about that, even prior to, because you said your first idea was this Amazon of the sharing economy and it didn't really go well. Um, well, clearly there was something to it though, because you did get a couple of grants, which is still impressive for an idea that got shitted on pretty hard. <laughs> Excuse my language. Um, so I think my question is, how did you, because I, maybe I missed it in our, what you said, but how did you go from the Amazon of the sharing economy to switching more into solving a problem that you yourself were personally facing as a photographer? Well, if you want, actually, the idea started, um, I think we were just chilling in a room one day. And so we thought we had this idea at the beginning. It was related to photography, actually, but it lasted about five minutes because then we're like, oh, but wait, if we're going to build a platform to share photography equipment, why does not what might as well just share everything and why not do deliveries and not why not do homemade food? And so that, you know, it kind of got way too much very quickly. So that lasted about five minutes. And so once we realized that we didn't have the skills to build out that all that we didn't have all the network there were so each one of those ideas is a full startup that could take 20 years in itself you know and so then okay let's bring it back let's come back to the beginning to what we know and what we what we know best and what we know we can actually do and solve for ourselves as well and so that that was kind of like the messy journey and we did have the grants i guess just because like a we got lucky, first of all, but then the idea in itself, I still believe it makes sense, right? It's just that it's not like a full startup that you can just build like this. It's probably something that's going to take 25 years at minimum, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but then also, I talk a lot and uh, maybe I'm not so bad at bullshitting people. So that, that kind of helped a little bit, I guess. <laughs> so that was one little skill, I guess. It's just uh, we spent yeah. time on those decks and all those different things. And so that, that helped a little bit at the beginning. Most entrepreneurs are very good talkers. I think at the end of the day, being a founder is selling, whether you're selling your business idea to a business angel or you're selling it to customers to buy it. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the, the going off of that, actually, did you even know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur from the beginning or did you just kind of stumble upon this like because like you said you kind of you left high school your parents were pissed you you're you're in this phase you, you come up on this idea but like did you know that that was a path you wanted to take no not particularly so that wasn't something i was like aiming for like yes i want to be the next bill gates or Elon musk or whatever that was not part of my dreams let's say but uh, you know it's kind of one of those things you can always go back and find those examples and people love to do this you know yeah when i when i was 12, 12 i sold for like 50 years or something <laughs> I have some of those examples, but I don't think they really mean anything. But no, I just kind of stumbled onto it, to be honest, especially because of my co-founder, Julia. Uh, she was taking some uh, entrepreneurship classes and then uh, 
I was watching a lot of Shark Tank at that time. So. <laughs> Felt inspired. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so then before I, I, before I had even cut you off, you were getting into, you had moved then to Berlin, and then you started building this community. So do you want to continue taking it from there? <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. But it was no, just, all good. <laughs> it went to like three or four different pivots, actually. And so that was quite interesting. This is why I was saying like it was quite a messy path. Because at the beginning, when we got to Berlin, we had kind of like built out the basics of the platform. And so like, okay, now we don't know anybody in Berlin. I still don't speak German, actually. And so in order to meet our first users, we thought, okay, let's start doing a bunch of photography events. And so those worked really well. We had almost like 100 people at the very first, kind of like meetups, you know, very basic meetups outside and so we had almost 100 people at the first one so we did over 65 of those events in 2019 and we built a community of over 3,000 creatives and so we just kept them going you know because it was fun and it was good marketing but then yeah. the community started asking us can you add locations as well studios you know and so I thought yeah I mean that's just like one extra category if we have some tractions a few people want it yes we can add it and then quickly actually we started getting approached in the, the year after by companies like uh, Zalando, SAP and Pinterest so they came to us because we had the equipment we had the locations and they asked but do you also have the creatives I was like I mean kind of yeah through the community you know so we thought Fuck it, all in one, let's go, add it. And so that's when we started pivoting a little bit to B2B and started targeting those companies, not just with individual bookings, let's say, but kind of like the whole the whole package, right? But then another thing came that we started noticing that actually matching companies and suppliers, let's say, is not enough uh, to, to do a whole production. You actually need quite a lot of collaboration. And you know, once you have all the different people and all the different pieces, you need to work together for multiple days, weeks, sometimes even months. And so we started building our own tools to actually manage those productions. We realized there's another startup in Berlin that's building in exactly the same direction as us. But we started from the marketplace, they started from the SaaS. So we talked a little bit, can we do maybe some partnerships to start working together? And at some point, we, we just acquired them, actually. And so that was, that was cool. So we ended up acquiring another startup quite early on. So that was a, there's positives and bad there. So that's a positive and negative. So that's, but that's pretty cool. And so now we're kind of, we keep on building in that direction. So when we say all in one, it's of course all the network. So creatives, locations, equipment, and then all the tools you need as well to manage those productions and creative businesses from A to Z. Wow. Okay. That's incredibly impressive. I mean, an acquisition is no small feat. I would say at least <laughs> it, it, it sounds very impressive in my opinion. I mean, what I think is interesting about what you just said is you did start listening to your customers essentially or start listening to your community at the end of the day, right? So you built up the community who was giving you direct feedback. They said, hey, locations are like, well, let's look into it. It's not that much harder for us to do. There seems to be a bit of traction there. Then you got major clients coming on board saying, hey, do you have the creatives? Like, funny enough, got this community of people right here who are looking for <laughs> this. Like, this is a nice match made in heaven. Um, so I think my other question to that, though, is as a founder in and of itself, how did you know what to do and how to go about founding a company, right? I mean, it is your first company. At the time, how old were you when you started this? I think when we really started the idea, it said I was 17, and then it got serious when I was like 18, 19, something like that. Yeah. Exactly. So you were incredibly young at that point as well. So how did you figure out what to do? How did you, yeah, just navigate all of the new, the new things that you were learning at this time? I mean, the, the short version is YouTube. That's the that's a very short version. Uh, the longer version is, I mean, that you just kind of like uh, start and figure things out as you go, right? So luckily, I have two really good co-founders, and so they have more experience than me. They're a little bit more more structured than me, let's say, and so that that helps a lot. But yeah, I mean, for me, I was seventeen. I was like, okay, what what do I really have to lose? Very worst case, 
I come back on my mom's couch. That that's about it, you know. And so that's you know, I was like, yeah, nothing to lose. Just started, and then also I always have this uh, kind of uh, idea in mind that like, you should just start, try things out, and you'll figure things out as you go. And we're still learning things every single day, and so that was also one of the reasons then. Kind of how do you say afterwards that I justified uh, dropping out of high school. So it's just kind of like the the rates at which you learn new things, right? Every day you're waking up and you have to solve new problems that you didn't even know existed, and so you have to figure things out and learn new things. And most of the things we do, the answers are online, you know, or like you can just message people and ask them. And that was another thing that we just learned is that um, even when we're get, getting slapped in the face, for example, by all these investors at the at the very beginning. Just the fact that they would actually reply and that they would actually talk to us, you know, even if they were saying, no, I'm not interested, I'm never going to invest in you guys or this business or whatever, they still took the time to take calls and teach us new things, etc. So it, it, all of a sudden it felt like, oh, this is actually not not that hard. And like, you can't just send emails and people reply. You can't just send LinkedIn messages to some of these people you see on TV and some of them reply, you know, and so <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's... Um... That's an interesting point that you bring up because one, you're saying just do it and just figure it out. And I, we kind of talked about this briefly. I'm very much the planner. I said this already for this podcast was two years of me talking about it, uh, <laughs> sitting there being like, well, first I need to do research. Who am I to even think that I can do a podcast? You know, until one day I was like, okay, it's getting embarrassing. I actually just need to do it. But then when you just do it, this learning curve is wild. Like, like I said to you, Murphy's Law, anything that could go wrong will go wrong. And for me, I saw that very clearly with like going from everything from the microphones to the software to if it, it, everything's a problem. <laughs> and even just learning how to use the right tools to clean the audio up after I was like, I thought this would be very straightforward because I've used iMovie. Oh, no, these audio interfaces are a whole other mess. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, so I wanted to ask from your side, I mean, of course you're getting no's a lot from the star, um, um, investors and other people, but it's also fulfilling because they are giving you criticism yeah. back that helps you to improve. But how do you also at the same time keep yourself mentally going <laughs> through this learning curve, right? Because you've got the learning curve, you don't know at the same time. You also have a lot of uncertainty as a founder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why the, I mean, on the one side, I do think like you need a little bit of both, right? You need kind of like the planning side where like you have at least some sort of a plan because if you just go into it and you have no idea what's going to happen in two weeks and you can don't even have an idea of what could happen, let's say, that's probably a bad idea as well. But then on the other side, I do think you should just kind of like get started and see how things work. There's just like one thing here that, no, sorry, two little things actually I wanted to mention that are quite interesting is that I, I heard, I read somewhere like oh, somewhere on YouTube, I guess somebody was saying, um, the reason why you should just get started is like nobody and you should launch soon because nobody remembers the launch. You know, if you think of all your favorite companies, you don't know when Facebook launched. You don't remember that. You don't remember when Airbnb launched, when Uber launched, when Google launched. And you also don't care, you know. And so nobody cares about when you first launched. And then there was another thing where like, uh, you know, everybody has ideas, great ideas under the shower. But... Um, it, that idea that you have under the shower is worth exactly zero dollars but then just the fact that you have a name to it that you write it down maybe it's like one dollar and then you have a, a domain name two dollars and then you have like a, a little bit of like a pitch deck ten dollars you know and every single every little thing that you do kind of adds up to that and all of a sudden even if you just have a website you're already ahead of like 90 percent of people so like, okay you know what let's just do at least the basic and then and then let's go from there but then sorry for the mm -hmm. for the nose and stuff um 
I mean, most investors are actually pretty nice, and most people that you talk to are actually pretty nice out there, and so they're going to say no, but they're at least usually going to provide some feedback, especially if you ask nicely and, uh, you know, you're just getting started. Most people want to help out. But I was also lucky because uh, I was the only job I had before this in my life, I guess a couple like part-time job, was that I was going door to door in Switzerland uh, asking for money for the Red Cross. And so oh, oh, you were one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ones I see in Berlin where I try to go the opposite end of the street because I know they're going to be like, hi, can I talk to you? And they're like, uh, no, not today. <laughs> it's absolutely horrible, you know, and even worse because like I was inside people's homes, you know, door to door, etc. People closing the door, insulting us, like people called the cops on me so many times <laughs> so at some point it's like come on it can't it can't be that hard you know it's probably the same thing and so at some point if you do it enough the no's don't even affect you anymore you know and then the one big difference here with investors or sales for example is that at the end of the day you just need one and that when you just keep that in mind that that is super motivating because it doesn't really matter if like you have two thousand people that tell you no you literally just need one person to give you money or to buy from you or to whatever and you're in business, you know? And so I'm like, okay, but I just go on LinkedIn, just type investors on LinkedIn, look at the hundreds of thousands or millions of people you can find. I'm like, I can convince one, you know, at least one, I should be able to do that. And so that, that kind of keeps you going a little bit, I would say, yeah. Fair enough. I think that's a really cool perspective to have on that actually, because when you do think about it that way, you just start to realize it's a numbers game, right? It's, it's yeah. literally, let me just get out there and talk to as many people as possible. There's gotta be someone that's gonna bite someone that's going to believe in it just about as much as i can maybe i'm on a good day i'm in my sales mode and and i was just going to say like even if you don't really believe that you can at least convince somebody there's also that sentence like yeah, the first investors like friends family and fools right the triple f's it's like there, there's got to be one dumb guy with money out there at least that you know so like probably there's a, a little bit of something like that so i really think like you should just kind of get started talking to people and do go with the, the very basics you know there's no need waste time with too much planning or too much building or anything just gotta literally get started and then you'll figure things out as you go and there's that other sense as well like everybody has a really great plan until you get punched in the face and that's very true as well and mm -hmm. so the you get started as you were saying you know like you have so many more things that you didn't anticipate but at least you're starting you know and you'll you'll learn those when the time comes for sure. I, and I think at the same time, it's about embracing a little bit of the journey. Like I, I kind of mock myself now where something goes wrong and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to make this a series now. It, this is going to be part of the podcast content. It's like, hey guys, this is everything that I did wrong. Because I remember my mom was saying to me in the beginning, like, well, these days everybody has a podcast. I mean, it can't be that difficult. You should be able to figure it out. And I'm like, well, clearly I can't. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm figuring it out, but it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be, which is ironic. Um, but yeah. I wanted to also kind of go back. How did you, how do you, a, a big portion of this is also having the confidence, the audacity, and also being able to convince. And I mean, it seems like you had a bit of experience now with the Red Cross job. I mean, yeah. that's rejection because people are mean, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so how do you, keep your your head up through through that and i mean, I mean this kind of like what you were just saying right now that everybody has a podcast right the negative of this mm -hmm. and like social media and even worse like business and startups is that everybody wants to give like and you need almost to give yourself a, a really good image you know make it look like you're doing amazing things and that life is easy and you're living the best life possible but you know that that's not true you know and so then once you start talking to people you realize that 
nobody has an idea what they're doing out there. So that's why I love listening to these entrepreneur podcasts or whatever, especially when people actually go a little bit more in depth. If you mm-hmm. follow them on LinkedIn or et cetera, they look like geniuses doing everything crazy. Then you actually talk to them, so oh yeah, your startup is fucking burning out there. You know, like you have no idea what you're doing. And I, I can, I can probably, you know, just figure it out like that as well, and just kind of like improvise every day. And so it's a little bit of that, just kind of like realizing that most people out there don't have any idea what they're doing. And so if now they have some, they have some things that they're good at. They didn't start that way. Then they just had to learn from, you know, from scratch as well, from somebody else, or just improvising as well. And then it's just yeah, a little bit of confidence maybe. I know there's a lot of things I don't know. And the more things you do, the more you realize all the different things you have no idea about. But I always think, okay, if I, if I give myself enough time, I, I can learn, you know, like the, the information is out there. It's accessible. Other people, other people have done it before, you know. And so I can probably find the information and go through the process. It might take me three times more, three times as long, but there's going to be a point where I I can figure it out. I can know how to edit a video or a podcast or something. It's going to be really hard, but I can probably, I can probably do it. Hopefully. Facts. And I, for sure. And I, I also agree with that because the first time it might take you three times as long, but now you've gone through that curve, right? So the next time, maybe it's like two times, one and a half times as long until eventually you can just do it really quickly. And it's second nature. It is just about practicing and co- continuing with it. Um, yeah. And so kind of taking it back to being a founder i mean how did you because you talk about raising and everything but how do you even how does one even go about that process like how do you how do you even go ahead and find an angel or family friends and fools i mean especially i mean getting it from family and friends sometimes can be incredibly challenging right so how how does one even do that (laughs) or how did you do that sometimes you (laughs) want to ask your friends and family you might just want to skip that whole step (laughs) I was gonna say actually, sorry, just one last thing I remember just yeah. before is that there's a very good saying or a very good um, advice, let's say, and I completely agree that like as the founder of anything, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. And actually, if you're the smartest person in your company, you're probably doing it wrong. And so the idea is just you need to just get started, do it enough, and very quickly you're gonna be able to hire people which are supposed to be much better than you and whatever it is they do. And so very quickly you end up being kind of like the dumber person in the in the company actually. And that's normal and that's your job actually and so mm-hmm. kind of understanding that you're not expected nobody expects you to do everything that's that helps that helps actually but, i heard a sorry not also to kind of piggyback off of that yeah. i heard something very similar someone said uh if the ceo looks like a dumb person amongst everyone else they're a really good ceo <laughs> and it was like because it's basically if he's the smartest person in the room and all you hear is from the ceo it's probably not a great one uh, the team's yeah, yeah. probably not that great either um so it falls in that direction but i agree for yeah, sure like, like when you start hiring like if you start hiring for example somebody for like performance marketing you hire them because they're much better than you you know like once you hire a first engineer or first whatever ideally they should be 10 times as good as you right and so very quickly yeah you end up being <laughs> the dumbest person around, I guess. So yeah. that's and that, that's normal, you know. And everybody knows that's how it goes. So that that is pretty cool. But then for the fundraising, uh, short answer again: if you're looking for investors, just go on LinkedIn. Everybody's on LinkedIn, and people. The, the good thing as well is that investors want you to reach out to them. That's their job: it's to invest in startups, and so they want to hear from you. Of course, like you have to do your research. Different investors invest in different things, but there's mm-hmm. so. Uh, there's so much money out there and there's so many people that can give you money. Sometimes you don't realize how much money there is in the world and how many people can just write 50K checks, 100K checks and not even think about it. And so I, I just have two of our investors actually just quite recently that told us literally that 
I invested two years ago. I didn't understand what you do. I just like the energy. And still today, I'm not sure they know what we do. You know, I'm not sure <laughs> I can understand. And so, but that doesn't really matter. And so there, there's a lot of money out there in the world and you just have to go and find it. And there's a lot of free money you can get as well from mm. amazing programs. So we were part, for example, of Google for Startups. And so that one is great. But also these grants that you can get as a student, as a you know, recent graduate, or because you work on this sort of businesses, wherever in Switzerland, for example, you can get money at the city level, the canton level, which is kind of like the state level, and then the federal level as well. So there's, in many countries, you can find money out there. It's just that nobody tells you, nobody advertises it to you, but there is a lot of free money out there. And literally just start messaging people. <laughs> just start messaging many, many people. And there's also a lot of people who could be your investor that don't know it yet. They're not investors yet. You can think of like your neighbors, some random lawyer you know, some random doctor you know, some whatever. They, they might, maybe it's not going to be 100K, you know, but maybe they can write 5K checks, 500 euros, whatever, any little mm. bit helps, you know. And so if you can, I would say uh, those are technical details then, but you can do safe notes, for example, or convertible notes. So you don't have to put a valuation on the company, etc. And you just start taking in even small checks. Somebody wants mm. to give you 50 euros, take it, you know, just take <laughs> And you go from there, you know, it adds up. So you don't have to go and find those super famous investors only. You don't have to do crazy things. There is money out there. A lot of people have a lot of money and they're actually accessible and they want to put their money somewhere. And so people will at least, usually at least hear you out. And so don't be scared to just, and as we said, worst case that happens, you email a hundred people, they say no and you email a hundred more, you know, and you just keep going. Yeah. Actually, a quick question to that and following up to it, because I've been hearing a lot of people say, you know, prior to 2022 was significantly easier to raise yeah, money and now money's super tight. Um, would you still, would you say that that's actually the case now? Or do you still believe that, yeah, there is actually money out there? A little bit of both, I would say. We have this okay. discussion many times because like, we raised multiple times as well through these different years, etc. And so every time we raised, it felt like it wasn't a bad time. So during COVID, when the war started, all these different things, you know, <laughs> so every time it was bad situations, but... Yeah, it does feel, if you read the headlines, that like prior 2022, you know, 2018, 19, 20 were kind of the years where people are just throwing money at you. And so that that's probably true. But at the same time, there's always money out there still. And so it doesn't mean that you can't raise. Maybe, and this goes back to like fundraising is exactly like sales. And so you just have to talk to as many people. Maybe you can still raise, but maybe instead of talking to 100 people, you need to talk to 300. But if you're serious about doing this and you really want to grow your business, even if you have to talk to a thousand, like this, it's just going to take more time, you know, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible. Maybe the bar is a little bit higher, but uh, mm -hmm. one of the, um, the startups in our cohort, for example, in Google, uh, Google for Startups, Propel, they're really good. They just closed like a 2.5 million round three weeks ago, you know, and so that you, you have people out there raising crazy amounts of money and it's still happening. So there's... There's no excuse. <laughs> just, <can't go. laughs> just do it. No excuses. Figure it out. Go talk yes. to people. I mean, it's just, it's just going to... This is, I don't know if it's uh, related or not, but like there's always the topic, for example, of like um, uh, as minority founders, for example, sometimes the bar is a little bit higher, you know, of course, as a woman founder, as a black founder, as a whatever, there's sometimes, you know, maybe especially if you're trying to raise in Europe, etc., the bar might be higher. And so that might be true. The statistics are, are, are up there. But at the same time, if you're building your business, you don't really have time to focus on any of that. And so, okay, for you, maybe you, you can't just talk to 100 investors, you're going to have to talk to 500. But that's just what you're going to have to do. You know, you don't have time to worry about that because at the end of the day, if you're 
if somebody tells you no and you're focused on like why did they tell me no and you take it too personally they don't care they're moving on with their day the one mm -hmm. that is suffering is you the one that is not moving forward is you and so you just have to keep literally just yeah. keep running <laughs> this sounds very weird but it's just yeah no, I agree. I think, I mean, I've heard this from a lot of founders as well. And even statistically speaking, people have said, you know, if the average archetype of a founder, white male, prestigious university has to speak to 100 as a woman of color or something else, you're going to have to speak to 200 to 500 more. Right. And it's true. But also at the same time, I agree with you with just moving on, because at the end of the day, you probably don't want those other investors anyway, who have that certain prejudice. And I think someone said it's like dating a little bit with looking for an investor. Like once they're your investor, you're married to them. You need to answer to them. So pick your investor wisely because they can make or break your business as well, right? I, at least that's what I've heard. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that can uh, having like good investors, especially if you don't want to take bad investors and you you don't want to take anybody's money, right? Because like once, as you said, you're married and. Once they're there, it's going to be very hard to get rid of them. And so they're going to be there for a long time. So it might sometimes be better not to take that money, you know, and that, mm -hmm. that's maybe a choice. And you can always bootstrap or there's always other ways. But just one little thing that thing that I still have to kind of remind myself and I still get shocked sometimes is that investors are actually not kind of like your boss. You know, you don't really report to them and they're they are the one that spent the, the ones that spend money, you know. And so their job at some point is almost to help you out. And so, of course, they expect you to make them more money. But it's almost more like I'm giving them tasks to do stuff for us instead of us reporting to them. You know, so it's, it goes a little bit on both ways, in both ways. But I always have that image in mind that like, fuck these people. I need to only give them good news. I need to deliver on whatever we're doing, etc. But they invested knowing that like it's what 90, 95, 99 percent of startups are gonna die anyways. That's the mm -hmm. basic expectation. And so they're on your side actually, and much more than what you think actually. And, and that's just one thing that I always have to remind myself because that's not the popular popular image let's say i'd say definitely isn't the popular opinion and even kind of circling back to some of the things that you said before you've given a very human image to investors and to just people to reach out to and i and i say this because even i had my first episode with this with, with ali bangura from adan and he was um saying that at the end of the day these are just people He's like, there's the same people who eat, they're the same people who shit, they're people. Like, and there's no difference between them and us at the end of the day. And I think that is an important message to carry on to everyone else because I think oftentimes, especially if a founder has a minority background, something you feel like maybe you have imposter syndrome or you're a bit nervous to reach out to these people because you put them on such a pedestal. But at the end of the day, they're people. And if you understand what they need as your investor, that they just want you to be successful you understand what the dynamic is at the end of the day, right? <laughs> and it's like some investors out there are, might be, there's always exceptions, right? Some investors are yeah. absolutely horrible. Some are really amazing, etc. But also like this thing I just mentioned, like putting them on a pedestal, I keep on doing this every time as well. It's like the criteria to be an investor is literally just having money. You know, it doesn't mean that they're smart or anything like that. And I spent so much time, a couple of times, you know, for, for past uh, rounds, putting together like crazy financial models, et cetera, because I thought they, they understand these crazy financials. I'm the dumb one. I have to do all these predictions, et cetera. And then I send it to them. We have all the tracking things, et cetera. I see that either they spent literally 30 seconds on it or they have no idea about it, even them, you know, so like they don't know all these things. And so it's like, yeah, you just got to stop putting them on pedestals. Like, yeah, the criteria is just it's a person with a bag of money. That's about it, you know. Facts. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I agree with you. Um, I saw this 
I mean, I was recently talking to my supervisor at work and I need to create like a unit economic model because I was trying to figure something out and trying to see if this business model would work or not. And I remember sitting there and be like, oh, this is so straightforward. Like I did my master's in entrepreneurship. No one ever really taught me how to do this, which would have been super helpful because you can tell if a business model works or not that fast. Yeah, that cool. But at the same time, he said the exact same thing. He's like, most investors would never understand this anyway. So there's really no point in like wasting your time doing this. And I was like, what? But they're an investor. What do you mean? They should. These people should be like the best Excel modeling, financial modeling gurus. Like, no, they, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. And they honestly don't care. You know, like on our yeah. financial models and our pitch deck, I think average watch time, maybe financial model was like a minute or so, maybe a little bit more. Pitch deck is like 30 seconds. And so you spend hours doing that pitch deck, beautiful designs, everything that looks beautiful, all these, the, these crazy projections, etc. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So actually, that goes back to a little bit like if they don't really care about the business model, they don't really care about your pitch deck from your perspective. What are they really looking at when it comes to you as a founder and even, yeah, your company? It depends on what stage your company is at, right? If mm. you're like a Series C company trying to raise like 500 million, yeah, it's a different ballgame. But right now, for most people, potentially, they're interested in this conversation. For example, like early stage startups, let's say all the way from like pre-seed to maybe Series A, something like this. Most of it, like pre-Series A at least, most of it is about you, you know, as a you as a person, your team, your co-founders, that sort of stuff. Because uh, if you think of like some of the investors that invested into BZ in 2019, we pivoted like four times. The business they invested in doesn't exist anymore. It's com something completely different. The only constant and at the end of the day is you as a founder and you're the one that is going to make or break this thing. And very surprisingly, very often, like I hear from a lot of founders that maybe fail the first company and investors that invested in that first company that went bankrupt actually want to invest in the second one because it's not necessarily about the idea or the business model or whatever. Whatever business model you have today as a at the idea stage or just getting started could be completely different in two weeks. You know? And so mm -hmm. that doesn't really matter. The, the belief is really more that you as a person, again, can figure it out as you go. You know, And the, most of this startup thing is... Uh, Kind of like a scientist thing, you know, like I'm not that structured at that level, but just kind of running tests, you know. And so it's more like your pitch at the end of the day is not really like we know what we're doing and this is step A, B, C and it's going to be amazing. It's more like we think this could work and we want to try A, B, C. More than likely, they're all going to fail and then we're going to try D, E and F, you know, and we're going to try the next ones, etc. So it's really just about testing and really about just learning things and then going from there and adapting and so this is why there's so much talk about pivoting because we all know that whatever idea you have right now it's probably shit and so we're probably gonna have to move on from that but how did you let go of the idea right like i see this with a lot of founders i mean i've, I've run a couple accelerator programs and some founders are steadfast about this idea and even if the tests are showing that this may not be the way to go <laughs> They are, they are really having a hard time getting themselves to pivot. So I can how was that from your experience? Like you're seeing that these things aren't working. Were you, was it easy for you to pivot? Did you have a hard time with that? How did that look? I don't know if I'm the best person to reply to this one because I kind of still hold on to the idea, to be honest. And so even that initial thing of like Amazon of the sharing economy, I don't tell it to most people. Okay. But I still have the thing like if this works well enough, we might be able to you know move our way back into it. And so it just kind of feels like, okay, it's a, I thought it was going to be three steps to get there. It's actually 15 and we're going to have to do a bunch of detours, etc. But I still feel that like most of what we do can still come back to that original idea. But otherwise, it's just that like a, 
the, the first time we pivoted, that, that was really hard. That was really hard. Mm -hmm. And so you really kind of have to accept that something is not working. You know? So if you want to keep this going, there's a limit to how much you can push against, like, a, I just say, currents or whatever. If it's not working, you can keep going for three months, six months maybe, but you're not going to be able to keep going for the next 10 years with something that doesn't work. And so at some point, you're going to have to try something else. And so once you let it go that first time, second third fourth time it's much easier because then you, you kind of get used to it and it's more about the final goal and not necessarily how you how you get there but I, I don't have much advice on this one unfortunately no fair enough i think i think that's an interesting way to put it because instead of being like telling people oh just get rid of the idea i do think kind of maybe having that little bit of a mindset shift of like okay i thought this was going to be three steps but it took me 15 steps instead is it maybe a little bit easier for someone to digest it's like okay maybe this is just a way to get to that overarching mission because at the end of the day, like you said, it's it's experimentation and you have to follow what's working, especially once you start taking money, right? Like you, you got to yeah. start showing that something's working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or at least having a story around that. But maybe uh, maybe for uh, this, I can revert the question to you, I guess, maybe for the podcast as well, because yeah. I imagine maybe you have like a kind of like, I'm really not good at this, but kind of like that mission vision statement, you know? And so you're trying to achieve something and maybe the podcast is one way to do it, but you could also do it in, in other ways, right? How do you go about that as well? Because I imagine that's probably the answer, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah, definitely. So it kind of, so I think the thing came from all the research that I was doing in the beginning, right? So researching into women of color founders and their experiences, trying to understand the intersect, the aspects of intersectionality and that hit your plays and i was like okay this is all fun and good and all and i while i enjoy research there's also another aspect of me there's like i enjoy the conversations more um and also what was really important to me was like i love when people have like really critical discussions like in a safe space where you even though we disagree we can disagree in a very safe manner with each other also having the chance to share people's stories and experiences because that's the only way you learn and then making sure that there's this aspect of education and so i was like of course i've got this grander vision in my head of like i would love for this to be like a cool media thing media production and a great source for everyone to learn and come together and have a huge community but I can't start at that level. I don't even know how to start at that level. And so for me, that was like, okay, let's take it back to the basics of what did I enjoy doing throughout the entire process? And that was interviewing people and sharing stories and like those cool little nuggets. And so that was kind of my avenue for figuring out where to get that started. Um, I don't have a proper plan of how to take it from here, to be honest yet. But I think for now, I'm just trying to first just get a grasp of doing this kind of okay well well enough and then see how I can take it up from there you know because I am one person and like you said you need to do it well enough that you can attract other people <laughs> to jump on board so I can move it forward and that would be great because being a one-woman show of production social media <laughs> editing is a lot um so just production like full companies with like teams of 15 20 people oh do just that you know so that's the whole that's all yeah. i love that mindset actually because i think that's probably the right uh, the right way to go about it because if you're too focused on the product itself maybe the podcast itself you, you kind of get absorbed into all statistics and many analytics and many different things but oh, yeah. if you're focused on that larger mission then the podcast is just one of the ways you can get there i guess and so that probably much more flexible and if it doesn't work you can pivot out of it or something like that exactly and i think it's kind of goes going to finding what makes you really like really brings you joy a little bit like 
I love my job that I have in my nine to five, right? As a venture architect, it's fun to build companies within like a corporate context, right? But at the same time, I genuinely find this fun to do. And I remember even talking to Ali in the first episode, I was like, he was saying that he was doing these roadshows around Germany um, when he first started Adon. And I, and then I was like, oh, well, how many people? And he was like, oh, well, for the one in Hamburg, there were three. And I'm like, well, didn't that feel like a failure or like kind of didn't make you feel good? And he's like, no, I was genuinely happy that three people showed up. Like, this was great. <laughs> and it's this like joy that he had that even if it wasn't at the scale that he imagined it at, it was doing something that was fun for him. And I think that's the same for me. It's like, if even if just a couple of people were like, oh, this was fun to listen to, or I learned so much from your conversation with Jonas, then I'm like, all right, cool, we did it. Like, this is enough. Um, so I think that's, that's at the core. <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah that, that's really cool. And for me as well, I have so many stories of like these little one, one-off comments or something like this. And that's kind of what keeps you going, maybe what stays motivated, just little, I guess for the audience or something. I don't do Go this, but it. just uh, from my mom, I guess. Uh, she has a little folder actually of all the positive emails people send her, and she just keeps them on the folder. And when she's depressed, then she just goes through it. And that's a really good idea, actually. You know? I all love that. Any achievements, and you just keep them together. And say, oh yeah, it actually made this one person happy, and that's that's enough, you know, and that keeps you that keeps you going. One thousand percent. You know, it's actually well, I keep referring to like different conversations that I'm going to have, but there's actually another founder I'm having a conversation with and we're talking about how to increase your luck surface area, which I know sounds like a weird thing, but how do you do certain things to help yourself have more opportunities to be lucky? Um, and one of the things that we talk about is he calls it his points of validation. I call it my confidence bank kind of having like I have a little list of things that I'm like are little wins for me. So when I get into a situation where I'm feeling pretty shitty or I'm like, oh, I didn't do this well, or I'm super nervous, it's like, just look at that. And it's like, all right, you managed to do all these things before in the past. Why should this situation be any different for you? And that's really cool. Oh, that's a really good advice. Yeah. But I think it's important. You need to have these little wins for yourself, right? So that because otherwise, what else do you have to hold on to? You have to believe that you can do it. No one else yeah. is going to believe that you can do it unless you do it. <laughs> uh, that, you should put that on a poster or something. That was really nice. No, I agree. I agree. Especially then, you know, startups or trying new projects, etc. Like most of the things you do are failures. Like most of everything just fails and is a problem, is a disaster. Most of your life right now, I imagine, is probably just solving problems and figuring things out, etc. So you got to hold on to those little, you mm -hmm. know, little things that work left and right. Facts. Adulthood is ghetto. <laughs> stuff out is rough i am i was like wow this is a lot harder than i thought it was going to be i mean <laughs> exactly exactly you just gotta keep yourself yeah and that's one it's very true you gotta keep yourself motivated because nobody else is gonna do it for you and so if you're not able to do that yourself and having yeah. system probably helps quite a lot yeah maybe one last question around just this topic of keeping yourself motivated i mean you talk about your mom's advice to have like an email with all her emails but how do you keep yourself motivated i mean at the end of the day being a founder is also not your sole identity, right? I mean, you have other things going on in your life. So how do you, first of all, balance being a founder with everything else in your life, but then also keeping that motivation up because being a founder is a marathon, not a sprint. So mm -hmm. you're in this for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so two yeah. questions. I yeah. mean, the, the part of like uh, your founder is not, uh, being a founder is not your sole identity. I mean, 
ideally, but most of the time you, know, you, you kind of identify and it, it kind of consumes your whole life, you know. So I used to have a lot of other hobbies. That's why I'd say I used to. So like I, I still like to say that I'm a free runner, etc. But the last time I seriously went to train was like maybe three years ago. You know, so that that's not, yeah. So it, it, it kind of starts taking up a lot of your life. Uh, but then, yeah, the thing of like, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. That's very true. So I just have like one little story mm -hmm. here. It's just uh, when we started, uh, like we started like watching a lot of um, uh, conferences and things about marketplaces, right? And people are saying, yeah, it takes at least seven years to just get the first initial like, um, uh, how do you say, positive results from like a, a marketplace, from building a marketplace. Like, yeah, seven years, whatever, you know. I heard it, but I didn't really listen. And now that we're like four or five years in, I'm like, oh, yeah, that it's really seven years, you know, probably much more. And so I just kind of realizing that everything you do is going to take a lot of time. And so then everything is kind of normal and just making sure that you, you're on track. Uh, and then for the thing of like staying motivated, I, I would say yeah, it goes back to kind of like that mission, vision, etc. As long as you, you feel kind of like you have that larger goal and it's not just about making money, for example, or not about achieving these small goals every week or these huge things, but like uh, you have that big picture vision, something you want to achieve more than just building a big business, for example. And then you can track like little progress. And you know, as long as you're moving the needle, even just a little bit every day, mm -hmm. Maybe it takes 20 years, but I'm going in the right direction, right? And so then sometimes we have, of course, like all our KPI dashboards and all those different things. And so even if it goes up and down, et cetera, every week, uh, you have that kind of maybe cumulative view where you can see that, okay, it's still going up to the right kind of, you know. So that, there's some of these little things that you can build for yourself just to keep track or just having little checklists or whatever. But this one, I'm not sure because uh, I'm a pretty optimistic person by nature. And so I, I kind of stay pretty energetic and motivated. But otherwise, yeah, try to pay attention to, as we were saying, you know, like the couple things that are going well and try to ignore all the things that are going bad and then realizing that it's it's normal, you know, and especially if you talk to other founders and you realize that everybody's in that same situation. Uh, when I was, um, when we had that Google program last year, we had like a monthly uh, check-ins with all the other mm -hmm. founders. And I was in full panic mode sometimes. Everything was going bad. And so then we had like a, two of the questions that were just going around the room and asking, what are some of the big wins you had this week and some of the things you're worried about, right? And so when I realized that everybody around the room has the same problem of like, oh, you also have only one month of runway. Cool, we're in the same boat, you know. That sort of stuff, your company is going to die in one month as well. Great, I talked to one founder that had his company. He had like one week left of runway, you know. One week, and I was like, oh shit, okay, I'm doing good, I'm doing good actually. <laughs> He survived, though. He survived. He made it out. So, you know, so that's just that was motivating as well. Yeah. Just realizing that everybody is in the same kind of situation, uh, even if they don't, it doesn't look like it, you know, because uh, you, when you go on LinkedIn, you have to kind of portray yourself as if everything is going super well, etc. Yeah. But in the back, that's not, that's not true. That's right, y'all. No one has it figured out and nothing is ever as perfect as it seems. Now, if there's an idea that you've been procrastinating on getting started, this is your sign to start today. Don't worry about perfection. No one remembers the launch anyway, and you'll also learn as you go. So with that being said, a huge thank you to Jonas for sharing not only those gems, but so many more throughout this episode, as well as your journey and advice. Also, a huge thank you to all of you for listening in. Please follow, like, rate, and or leave a comment. I'd love to hear what you think about not only this episode, but the previous ones too. So I'm really looking forward to it. And as always, onwards and upwards, y'all, and speak to you again in two weeks.